Hey, everybody, how you doing? And welcome to episode number 133 of the John Riley Project. Hey, welcome. Thanks for joining us here on Stitcher, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And we'd love for you to subscribe. That'd be great. You know, just kind of join the party. If you're watching on YouTube, man, click on that subscribe button. Click on that bell to get those updates for the next episode. That'd be really appreciated. You know, kind of helping us build our audience here. We've got a great podcast store for you tonight. We're going to be talking about property rights and some of the controversies with these COVID masks at Costco. We're going to talk a little bit about inalienable rights as well. So there's going to be a lot of, yeah, it's going to be a righteous podcast talking about rights tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about Justin Amash, big news with him. And man, I got a lot to share with you. And I've just kind of had a lot of stuff been building up. I actually have made this huge list of topics that I really wanted to share in the podcast, but I had had sort of like a writer's block. I just hadn't really gotten my thoughts organized and kind of, you know, bullet pointed out a few of these podcast episodes. So I think my last podcast was maybe a little over a week ago. Um, normally I try to do two of these a week and I've only done two this month. And what's today? It's like the 22nd of May, I think. So, man, so I, I, I don't know what happened. I just been, you know, kind of thinking through things in my life and, and, you know, had a little bit of noise in my mind. And maybe you've gone through that before. And I'll tell you what, this morning, the smoke cleared and it was remarkable. I figured out a few things and then poof, all the noise went away. Uh, so I'm going to actually talk a little bit about that in probably a future podcast. I want to gather my thoughts about it, maybe turn it into a blog post and um, I'll share that. But now I finally feel like I'm, you know, the, the gates are opening up, the floodgates, and I've got all this content I want to share. So um, yeah, we're going to get into property rights, inalienable rights. We're going to talk about Justin Amash. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of things. Um, the COVID crisis here in San Diego, we're going to look at some of the data. Um, but, you know, I, I want to give you a few updates about things that are top of mind for me. You know, part of this podcast, I I enjoy sharing with you the things that, you know, that are on my mind or when we have guests, I enjoy sharing that conversation. But I like to give you an in kind of an inside scoop on what's going on in my world, you know, because we're trying to build a relationship here, you and me. And um, I just like to give you a sort of a clue on what been, we've been up to. And I think in, I've talked about a little bit about this in previous podcasts, the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, I own a small business. It's a marketing agency, a consultancy. You know, there's just two of us in the business. And uh, we finally actually got PPP funds. I couldn't believe it. it. It was a hell of a process. You know, the probably, what was it, a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago when they announced the program, Wells Fargo on a Friday night made their website uh, available for applications. I applied on Monday and the website was overwhelmed and flooded and they weren't accepting any more applications. I talked to the branch and they said, sorry, you're going to have to probably go to a non-Wells Fargo bank and Meanwhile, I have been banking with Wells Fargo for over 20 years with my business. And they were saying, well, you're going to have to go somewhere else. And I knew if I went to another bank, I'd be in the back of the line, probably wouldn't qualify for it. Well, eventually, you know, um, Wells Fargo got more funding from the federal government. They were originally penalized because of some of the other 
malfeasances, you know, some of the controversies with the creation, some of those fake accounts that, you know, they got in trouble for that. Well, what they ended up doing is limiting the amount of money that Wells Fargo could lend in the Paycheck Protection Program, you know, that was the federal government's way of getting back at Wells Fargo. But what it ended up doing is screwing people like me um, and a lot of others um, where, you know, the bank we use isn't getting the funds. Wells Fargo, of course, one of the largest banks in America, you think they would have gotten a significant slice of the pie to pass out. Um, so at any rate, um, finally applied and went through the process and waited and waited and waited. And all of a sudden, my application was um, accepted. And then one day, poof, money drops into my business checking account. And um, yeah, it was, you know, it's helpful. Um, you know, it, it the way it kind of works is, is that of the amount of money you get, 75% of it has to be used to pay payroll expenses for um, for all of your employees over the span of eight weeks. Um, so yeah, that kind of works out. And then the remaining 25% you can use for rent and utilities and a couple of other um, expenses. So yeah, so I got cash from the government, you know, and, and normally I'm not a big guy on these welfare redistribution. I mean, I object to the policy. I think the policy generally is very flawed, is wrong. I mean, because you see what's happening with the federal government there. You know, Bush, Trump has like a $500 billion slush fund that he can pick and choose who to spend the money with. You know, the lion's share of this cash has been going to large corporations, very little to small companies, and even less that's going to individuals. So the whole thing is just sort of a cluster. And the policy itself, I strongly object to, but in many ways, the you know, the COVID virus obviously is is the problem, the health concern, but it's the government that's actually shutting down the businesses. It's the governors, the um, the local uh, officials here in our cities, in our county that are ones that are shutting everybody down. So obviously, if the government's shutting people down, then the government needs to compensate. But then on the other hand, it's just our own money kind of trying to come back. So, you know, I object to the policy. I also object to the high levels of taxation that we pay. But I figured if I'm a business owner, I have to, you know, quote unquote, play the game. I have to take advantage of the opportunities that are available to me, um, you know, as I'm working my way through life. And so, um, yeah, so I, I and I think it's interesting because I think some people would say if you if you take the money and you object to the policy, but you still take it, are you a hypocrite? And, and I don't think so. I mean, I, I strongly don't support the policy, but I also don't support you know, all of the theft, all of the money that was taken from me and my business um, for all these years. So if I have a chance to get some of it back, then, I, hey, I'll be happily, I'm going to happily do that. So at any rate, I finally got the Paycheck Protection Plan, and that's great. So I think I got that maybe a week ago. Maybe the funds arrived seven to 10 days ago. And, um, and we'll see, you know, I mean, well, that'll carry, I guess, if you, if the clock started ticking in, you know, early to mid-May. So, you know, come July 4th or so, you know, we'll see if they're going to extend it. I don't know. But, you know, they're going to extend unemployment benefits for, for people that are out of work. My hunch is that they're going to continue to extend these things. And I don't know where the hell they're coming up with the money. They're just cranking up the printing presses. Um, and that's always a danger, uh, you know, because of the threat of inflation. Um, so we'll see. This is just a remarkable time um, from the perspective of business 
not just for the workers, but for the business owners, for small business owners. And yeah, we're going to get into that in the podcast because it, it, for small business owners, we're going through a tremendous amount of chaos. But here's one small business owner that I got to give huge props to. Big congratulations to Joe Rogan. A hundred million dollar deal he just signed with Spotify. Now, as a podcaster myself, you know, and I'm small potatoes compared to to Joe Rogan, but wow, a hundred million dollar deal, man. And he's going to move the whole podcast and the video. He's going to take it off YouTube. It's going to be exclusively on Spotify. And, you know, he's no longer going to be independent Joe Rogan. He'll be working, you know, with Spotify. It'll be interesting to see how the content of his show, you know, changes. That He claims it won't. He, he claims it's just going to be broadcast on a different platform. But what the hell? $100 million, man. So that just goes to show you that there, there's so much opportunity in the market. Even during downtimes, there's tremendous opportunity because there's just so much money that's out in the marketplace. And it's all a matter of, you know, getting positioned and figuring out how you can earn um, earn money and, and make your business go. And, you know, Joe Rogan, of course, an exception to the rule. I think last I heard, there were like almost a half a million podcasts that were out there. Um, he's obviously, is he the number one podcaster? He probably is. Um, actually most podcasts, they rarely make it past seven episodes. What am I on? 133. So that's pretty good. Um, I got a long ways to go to catch up to Joe Rogan, but uh, well, that's awesome. hundred million bucks. Then that other piece of news. And I just saw this like about an hour ago as I was preparing to record this podcast and I'm watching, um, it was the game six of the 1986 World Series, you know, Mets and Red Sox. That's the one where Mookie Wilson hits the ball between Bill Buckner's legs. So I had to rewatch that. It was terrific. And as I'm watching it along the scroll bar uh, is the ESPN news feed. And just um, condolences to Jerry Sloan passed away. Uh, you know, Jerry Sloan, the longtime coach of the Utah Jazz had great success. I think he was there during the whole, you know, John Stockton, Carl Malone era, and they went to multiple NBA finals. And we saw, you know, in, in the last dance, you know, the Michael Jordan um, documentary. And yeah, the Utah Jazz were right there. They were right on the cusp of winning some championships. Jerry Sloan just passed away and um, complications of dementia and Parkinson's disease. And what's, what's interesting, and I, I learned this, Shortly, actually, was it right before I ended up marrying my wife, is that Jerry Sloan is actually a relative of my wife. And it's it's pretty distant and it's through marriage. I think it's like a, you have to go up the, the, um, the family tree, like multiple generations up and then across um, where there's one big family with a lot of great aunts and great uncles and then their children. And then they eventually had a, a child that married Jerry Sloan. Um, so there is a connection if you trace the family tree. So, yeah, wow, he just passed away. So rest in peace, Jerry Sloan. Um, speaking of rest in peace, um, here, here's another interesting deal is, uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, going through life's tough, right? You know, there's so much to do. You got your personal life, your family life, your business life. You got your hobbies and activities and interests and finances. And, you know, running your life is complex, uh, complicated. It's complex. You feel like you're spinning many plates on, on the ends of sticks. And 
there's always certain categories of, of at least speaking for myself, there are certain categories in my life that I don't really do as well as I do in other categories. And, and there, here's one that I, we have friends that have been so good at this and, and we had not. And that is playing the game of getting points in frequent flyer uh, programs, getting points with hotels, getting points with rental car agencies. We just dropped the ball on that one where it was a really good opportunity to earn um, points along the way and, and actually get some you know free opportunities. Well, we finally did. We finally broke down. You know, here I'm in my mid-50s. We finally got organized a couple of years around this. A couple of years ago, we got organized around this. And the rental car agency that we chose was Hertz Rental Car. Because I just think about when I was a kid, I remember O.J. Simpson running through the airport. That's when O.J. was the good guy. And um, Hertz Rental Car just filed bankruptcy. Um, and, you know, because of the COVID crisis. And they went two months and they, they ran out of cash. And you're thinking, wow. Um, Large corporations like this, you know, they don't even have enough money saved for a rainy day. Uh, now, granted, they're not going to completely go away. It's I always get it confused if it's Chapter 7, Chapter 11, where it's the one where they can reorganize their debt and then they can reemerge as kind of a leaner, meaner, more healthy organization. So I think Hertz Rental Car will come back in some form, but we'll find out. So, wow, just a lot going on. Um, and, you know, like I said, I... I'm hoping I can crank out some more podcasts like I usually do about two a week. And this is only my third of the month. So it's going into Memorial Day weekend here. Maybe I'll be Joe Productive. Like I said, the smoke cleared. I've got I got podcast episode topics that I want to talk about that are involving sports, personal development, um, local news here in San Diego and in Poway. Um, so I got a whole bunch of things cooking. So maybe – this is going to be my productive weekend, and I'll crank out some stuff. Um, so we'll see how this goes. But I want to talk about this Costco mask protest. And th- this was an amazing piece of news. And let me see if I can pull up the article online here. Um, and this was, you know, a guy that showed up at, po- at Costco, and he didn't want to wear the mask. Um, he didn't agree to the policy and he was in Costco and they eventually kicked him out. And the reactions that he had were something. I mean, so this is an article um, from a local Fox News station. And, you know, let me see if I can find the the quote here that's really good. And, yeah, the employee is telling, I guess the guy, his, name's, his last name's Garrett. And he's, he's saying, um, yeah, I'm going to put this on my Instagram feed. You know, he's, he thinks he's getting bullied. He thinks he's having his freedoms violated in the Costco for not wearing the mask. And the Costco employee was saying, hey, because he had his Instagram, you know, recording with his phone. And the Costco employee said, rightfully, he says, hi, everyone, I work for Costco and I'm asking this member to put on a mask because that is our company policy. And by the way, I like how he said member, not customer, because they are members. Um, but he was he was towing the company line. And and the guy responds, he says, and I'm not doing it because I woke up in a free country, you know, and th- this is unbelievable. And then, you know, the employees said, hey, you know, you're going to need to leave. And the guy got upset. And and it's interesting is that people don't understand rights. They don't understand that the other people have rights too. And we see this and we're going to, I'm sharing this one example, probably from a right wing perspective. I'm going to share an example from a left wing perspective in a moment, 
But when this guy rolls into a Costco and he doesn't want to wear a mask because, you know, damn it, that's my freedom and that's America. Well, Costco owns the business. Costco either owns the property or is leasing the property. Costco has the legal right to manage that property. They have the legal right to choose which customers come in their door. They can refuse service to people if they choose. And so this guy thinks that he's got a right not to wear a mask. And you do have that right in most cases. And there's a few cases where, you know, those rights are being violated. But at the same time, Costco also has rights. They have a right to manage their store according to their own policies, according to their own values. And they had already implemented a mask policy for all of their employees uh, because they want to protect their employees. And they also want to protect their customers. They wanted to I'm sure it wasn't said blatantly, but I'm sure they also wanted to put forward a a positive image. They wanted to show that they're caring and aware and they want to do the right thing. And, And frankly, they are doing the right thing, demanding that their customers wear masks. And, you know, there's all kinds of stories about whether masks are helpful or not. And some people think that masks are actually harmful, that you can't exhale the germs and you end up recycling them and breathing in things. You know, that may or may not be true. I don't know the science behind it. But what I do know is this, is that even if that mask limits your um, ability to spread, even just minimally, it's a good practice to wear the mask just so you are looking out for the other guy. Because really, how big of a problem is it to wear a mask? It's not that big of a deal. And so I, I wear a mask when I go into a store. I don't, and I do it mostly out of respect of other people because um, I know I'm not infected. Well, I haven't been tested, but I don't have any of the symptoms. And, and so I think the likelihood of me being infected is extraordinarily low uh, because I'm really good at social distancing too. Um, but I still wear the mask because I don't want to put anyone else at risk even though the likelihood of that is minimal. But at the same time, I just want to be respectful. I want to show that I'm aware that we're in a pandemic and I'm not like some ignorant person that's, you know, walking around oblivious to the, to the, um, to the health crisis. But it always strikes me as odd that people don't realize that the other person has rights too. And so it's just crazy. Now, granted, Costco made this decision as a private business, and they have their right to do that and to set their own in-store policy. But now we're starting to see cases where the government is demanding that workers in businesses or even customers in some businesses wear masks. Now, that kind of, in my opinion, starts to cross a line, whether or not the government should be demanding that people wear masks, because you know, the government's supposed to you know, protect our rights and not violate our rights, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit of that in a moment. But definitely, if it's a business, if it's a business, they should have the right to establish their own policy. Um, and, and it's amazing how some people are just freaking unaware of it. It's almost like free speech. You know, it's, you hear people talk about, you know, they get booted from Twitter, they get booted off Facebook, and they start saying, well, darn it, this is America. We have free speech rights. Well, yeah, you do. And that means the government can't abridge your speech, can't oppress your speech. 
it doesn't mean that a business can certainly do it. A business can kick you off. I mean, the classic example is, is that if you submit a letter to the editor to a newspaper, they're not obligated to print it. You know, they'll print what they choose. Um, so a platform like Facebook or Twitter, they're not obligated to post every post. Now, granted, I think they should. Um, but, you know, they some of the you know, you're seeing cases of oppression, suppression, sometimes for political reasons, which I think is not good, but it's within their rights to do it. It's the same thing with Costco, whether or not you agree with the mass controversy, whether it's good or bad, Costco has that right. And one person's rights don't trump another person's rights, you know, pardon the use of Trump. But, you know, that's kind of how rights work. And I've often thought about it like they're bubbles floating around. We're each a bubble and we float around in free space and our bubble cannot bang into or violate the other bubbles. We have freedom to move within that open space. But the boundary is, is that we can't violate the rights of someone else. It's almost like they said that your freedom um, ends right before your fist hits my nose. I know I'm quoting that one wrong, but but basically you just can't violate the rights of others. So I was happy to see Costco stand up for their policies. I thought this young man handled himself extraordinarily well, um, knowing that he had an angry customer, knowing that he was being recorded. You know, it's hard to deal with angry customers. And I've been there. And maybe you've been there. Sometimes angry customers can be very irrational. And it doesn't matter what you say, they're going to go off and they're going to make threats and they're going to try to expose you. And this guy was just, man, he was Joe Cool. He was calm. He understood the company line. He referred to them as members. I, I'm assuming he was a manager, um, a, a young manager, but he did a great job. So, wow. Um, but, you know, it goes, it's interesting. This is the amazing part about this whole COVID crisis is that we're learning a lot about civics as we go through this. And, and some people are refusing to learn. They don't want to listen. They have a misguided view of how rights should work. Because, yeah, if you have freedoms, you don't have the freedom to go out and do whatever you want. You don't have the freedom to you know, kill people, assault people, rob people. Um, you don't have the freedom to violate other people's rights. You only have the freedom to live your own life within that boundary, within the, that lane. You can't go outside the lane of violating the rights of others. People need to realize that. So, and this is, this is interesting because I had, and this is sort of the, the opposite angle to this. And I had a conversation with one of my friends, and I know he's probably going to be watching this podcast. And we had a, another conversation, and, and he was talking about these um, kind of coffee shop, maybe it was a bakery that was very popular in San Francisco and in some other cities. I think it was called, was it called Specialty? I think it was. And they had recently gone out of business. And it's sad. I mean, we're seeing all kinds of businesses go under. I mean, well, Hertz was the one example I shared earlier, uh, but but more so a lot of mom and pop businesses that maybe maybe financially they were just sort of getting by. And then this COVID thing sort of pushed them over the edge, edge of a cliff um, for some of those companies. Maybe, you know, they they went out of their way to help their employees and they, maybe they were too generous and then they ran out of funds. I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios. But there's been many small businesses that are no longer and are, are gone. Um, 
And this was one such case. And, you know, my friend was commenting about how he really liked it and they thought they had really good food and, and he enjoyed going there. And he was upset, rightfully so, that they were no longer in existence. And I had mentioned it's a shame that it had to end that way because it could have been avoided. And and he was like, avoided? What do you mean? How could this be avoided? I said, well, that business could have stayed open. And and this it was interesting. We had a really amazing discussion about this because that business, in my opinion, could have remained open. That business could have had a mask policy, just like Costco did. That, that business could have used social distancing as a policy, could have limited the number of people entering their restaurant or, you know, it's more like a bakery, um, could have limited the number of people entering and done it safely, safe for the customers, safe for the employees, could have kept the business in business. And, but unfortunately, they were categorized as non-essential. The government makes decisions. They say, you're essential, you're not essential. They were categorized as non-essential. They were shut down. And then immediately this business is in trouble. No revenue is coming in the door. They still have expenses. They still have to pay their rent. They still have to pay their utilities. They still have to pay their insurance. Depending on what's going on with their payroll, they got to pay some of that too. Um, If they have debt obligations, they still have to make those payments. So- It doesn't go away. They still have all these expenses, and it's been crushing for some of these small businesses. And it's a damn shame, and it doesn't have to be that way. And what's interesting is is that, you know, my friend who I was chatting with, and there's a lot of people that think along the same lines as him where, you know, we're in a pandemic. Rights don't matter. You know, we don't live – the rules change in a pandemic is what some people claim. Well, I, I checked the Declaration of Independence, and it says we have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Inalienable means they can't be taken away. So those are natural rights. Those are our rights by default. And government is supposed to secure those rights, not violate them. Now, there is a proper time for government to violate our inalienable rights, but not during a pandemic. It's when someone violates the rights of others. If one, if, you know, if, if, uh, you know, Bill murders Joe, well, Joe's dead. So Bill violated his rights. So Bill needs to have his rights violated. Bill goes to jail, right? So if you violate the rights of someone else, then that is a proper role of government to then in turn punish the person and in turn violate their rights. But otherwise, government shouldn't be should be securing or protecting those rights, not violating them. So when I see government shutting down businesses, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, that's just punitive. That's damaging. I mean, I'm a small business owner. I, I know what they go through because I've gone through it of raising money and starting a business and going through those early years and struggling and working your butt off and trying to get your business transformed and and start to grow and, and begin to earn profit and to build it. And then all of a sudden, you know, if some heavy handed government official comes in and just says, you're closing indefinitely until we give you permission to open, you are shut down. 
well, that guy's screwed. And, and there's, and it's possible like me, he, he might be scrambling to get a PPP loan. And, you know, like I did, I, I didn't get money for two months after the PPP program was announced. Some of these companies can't survive two months without revenue. Otherwise, they're toast. So it was, it's really discouraging when I see these businesses shut down. And that's why I commented to my friend. I go, it didn't have to be that way. And he was like, well, what are you talking about? This is a, this is a pandemic. You know, we need to be locked down, you know, in shelter in place. We need to take all of these precautions. And I'm like, yeah, we do. Um, but we still have the right to go do things. And I go, and people are going to Walmart or to Costco or these other places that are deemed essential. You know, so they're already leaving their home. He goes, well, yeah, but that's for essential things, he says. That's for food because we have to have food. And and I said, well, this guy sells food. You know, these other so-called non-essentials, they sell products that people want, people need. You know, who is the government to say you're essential and you're not essential? I mean, this is the crazy thing. I see people say, well, that's a non-essential job. That's the biggest load of crap I've ever heard because if the job exists – it is therefore essential because it's essential to that employee to have that job. It's essential to that company to have that job filled. And it's essential to their customer to see to it that the business is able to deliver the products and services that that customer needs. Now, granted, you might say, well, you know, he's just a, you know, it's a low end entry level job or it's a MIC job, which people like to say, that's ah, not really essential. Well, that's like, now, my friend wasn't doing this, but I, other people I know kind of sneered at some of those entry-level jobs. Well, that's not essential. That's a bunch of crap. Um, so it's interesting, you know, by the way, let's go a little bit of a tangent here. It's interesting that the government is deciding what's essential and what's non-essential. And have you noticed that a lot of the non-essential businesses are these local businesses, these mom and pop businesses that exist in small towns. And we have them here in Poway. But the businesses that have remained open are these big box corporate stores like Walmart, like Costco, like, um, well, certainly Amazon, although that's delivery. Um, all of these larger um, Home Depot is another great example. Not only are they allowed to be open, but some of their competitors are being shut down. And then during this crisis, you know, there's obviously a lot of this pandemonium and people remember in the beginning and people had this giant run on toilet paper and, and there's other products. There was heavy runs on those products. Well, a lot of those people were now going instead of going to their some of their local stores, they were going to these big box stores to buy them. And what, what did we see? We saw profits for these large corporate stores just skyrocket. We saw the number of transactions that they execute skyrocket because not only was there this frenzy to buy product, to hoard, to, you know, doomsday prepper, you know, people, and I did a little bit of that as well. I have a little bit of a storage area in my garage of some important items. People were on, 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 on in a frenzy buying these products and those big corporations, you know, the ones that largely have influence in Washington, D.C., and certainly in the state capital, the, remarkably, inexplicably, <laughs> they stay in business 
And all these small businesses are the ones that are scrapping and clawing and, you know, trying to like keep their head above water. And some of them, you know, they go down the abyss. And it's a damn shame it doesn't have to be that way. But then we started talking a little bit further about, you know, really what's the risk? I mean, really what is the risk? Now, obviously, you can go out in the world and you can get a virus, right? I mean, in the flu season, we can get the flu. I'm not saying COVID is flu. I'm not saying it's the same as flu. But in the flu season, you can catch the flu. In the cold season, you can catch a cold. When I was little, I caught chicken pox. Okay, so you can get viruses. There's always the risk of that no matter where you go. And obviously going out, even if you are practicing social distancing, even if you have a mask, there's a, there's a certain degree of risk. There's no such thing as perfectly safe. Government cannot legislate a risk-free world, although a lot of people want that. But it's just not achievable. There is no utopia. So um, it's, it's, it's just – it's remarkable because you can go out into the workplace. You can you, – you have a risk of getting this virus. But how, how risky is it? Now, here are some really interesting data points. Um, and I'm going to share this. This is from May – 19th, which I think was about three days ago. And this comes from Richard Ryder. Richard Ryder is a very interesting guy here in San Diego County. He's the president of San Diego Tax Fighters. Um, he is a, a, a Republican, a, a strong, heavy fiscal conservative. He used to be a very active member of the local Libertarian Party. Um, I think he ran for governor at one point um, as a libertarian, if I recall. Uh, and he definitely ran for the mayor of San Diego. And, you know, he is the worst enemy of um, government employee labor unions. So whenever he ran, he, he was always getting crushed. But I've always liked him. I, I always thought he had a lot of the right ideas. And he just lives in Scripps Ranch, you know, so he's a good guy. And you see him on the news. KUSI has him on quite a bit when they talk about tax related issues. But anyways, he shared this, this data, and this is just an amazing set of data. So, again, this is San Diego County, and this is uh, three days ago. Now, our total population in San Diego County is 3.3 million people. 3.3 million. The number of reported cases of COVID-19 three days ago was 5,662. Now, obviously, a lot more people have the virus because, you know, we haven't tested everybody. And there's people that are asymptomatic and there's people that have the symptoms but haven't been officially tested. So clearly the number is a lot bigger than that. But out of those 5,662, there's been, unfortunately, terrible. There is, sadly, there has been 209 deaths. Now, in the last three days, there's been more. So we're probably... I don't know, 225, 230. It's probably something like that today. So obviously, you know, we don't want to have deaths. But like I said, there's no such thing as a risk-free environment. Even outside of this COVID situation, you can still get a virus and you can still die from the virus for other categories of viruses. So, but think about it. Think about the sense of proportion for a minute. 209 people out of 3.3 million. I mean, that is incredibly insignificant 
from a from a percentage basis. Obviously, two hundred and nine lives. Not saying they're an insignificant, but there's three point three million people. So ten percent of that is what three hundred and thirty thousand. Ten percent of that is thirty three thousand. That's one. That's one percent, right? Ten percent of that to get it to a tenth of a percent would be thirty three hundred. And a tenth of that, which would be 0.01% or on a decimal basis, 0.0001, that would be 330 deaths if you use those proportions. So we are tracking at less than, uh, let me see if I can say this correctly, um, less than one one hundredth of a percent of people in San Diego County have died of COVID. Now, let's look at those deaths. And again, three days ago, there were 209 deaths. Number of people that died from COVID between the ages of zero and 19. Zero, none. The people between the ages of 20 and 29, there were two deaths. Between the ages of 30 and 39, there were two deaths. So we know that over 200 of these 209 are age 40 and up. In fact, of those that did die, 74.7% were age 70 or older. That's incredible. So, excuse me, three quarters were over the age of 70. And of those that did die, 46.4% were age 80 or over. So almost half were at least 80. So what does that tell you? It tells you that this is a, a disease that is primarily affects, I mean, at least in terms of deaths, impacts old people. Younger people that get it have a very high likelihood of recovering. And, and granted, it's not a smooth road. It may be a rocky road. For some people, they have, the, they have it. They don't have any symptoms at all. Some have mild symptoms and are able to get over it in short form. There are some that have serious um, that have serious symptoms, but a very tiny fraction, a less than one one hundredth of a percent die. And of those, half are over the age of 80, three quarters are over the age of 75, or excuse me, three quarters are over the age of 70. And how many of those 209 had underlying conditions, you know, that were already struggling from pneumonia or any other health issue. Well, almost all of them. In fact, if you look at those that purely died as a result of COVID, there were six in San Diego County. Out of 3.3 million people, only six died of COVID, purely COVID without any underlying conditions. So if it's if the number of deaths is less than one one hundredth of a percent, well, the number that died purely of COVID is what under under one one thousandth of a percent. So just unbelievably um, small. So you know what kind of conclusions can you draw from this? Now, some people would say social distancing works, shelter in place works, the masks are working. And yeah, that, that obviously has a great impact on this. But I think we're, we're learning that 
this pandemic, it's tough. It's not a smooth road. It's not easy. People are suffering. People are dying. But it's not as bad as what they said it was going to be. Not anywhere close. And some people say, yeah, that's because we're practicing social distancing. But I'm sorry. I mean, like you, it's interesting here in Poway, we have the, um, the Palomar Hospital that's here in Poway. And then there's the Pomerado Hospital that's in Escondido. And that's all part of this is it Palomar Pomerado Health System or Pomerado Palomar Health System? Whatever. They have the two hospitals. There's a few clinics. They um, they had cleared space. They had stopped elective surgeries. They had all these open beds ready, waiting for this expected surge of COVID patients. You know, good for them for being organized. Well, not only did the patients not show up, but they laid off. I think it was over 400 employees. There were nurses and, and administrative staff and support personnel. And you're thinking, how can a hospital be laying off workers in the middle of a pandemic? It's unbelievable. And I think it's because we're learning that I think we swung the pendulum too far. The 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 rules that were put in place were, in my opinion, too aggressive. You know, people that had elective surgeries couldn't get it done because of this. But more importantly, businesses are being shut down. The unemployment rate in San Diego County in just two months went from 4% to 28%. That's just insane. The Great Depression, the national unemployment rate was around 25%. We've gone past that. And more and more people are still filing for unemployment. That number is up. You know, it's probably over 30% now in San Diego County. And so that's why I said to my buddy, and I said, you know, I love my friend. He's a great friend. But I said, I think those businesses, they didn't have to shut down. It didn't have to be that way. Now, he was aghast. <laughs> he couldn't believe it. Um, he, he clearly disagreed with me, and that's okay. I mean, that makes friendships interesting, right, when we have a different opinion on things and we still love each other. Um, but uh, I get a sense here that, you know, we talk about the guy at Costco that wanted to come into Costco and didn't want to wear the mask. He forgets that other people have rights. He forgets that Costco has rights to set their policy and demand masks. Well, the same thing is true here. But from the other angle, people – and this t- typically tends to be with, with my friends on the left – are much more, um, how should I say, cautious about COVID. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the hardcore uh, right-wingers, especially the Trump supporters, that tend to be very cavalier. I mean, I'm being broad brush here, very stereotype. so forgive me for that. But our friends on the left tend to be a lot more cautious, a lot more willing to follow the rules that are established by government officials, and they don't want anyone to die. Okay, hear you. I'm with you. And they don't want to put other people at risk. I'm with you. I hear you. But they lose sight of the fact, just like the Costco guy, they lose sight of the fact that other people have rights too. Now, they claim, I don't want my rights violated. I don't want to have some a-hole coming here and infecting me or sneezing on me. And we've seen a couple of jerks doing that on purpose in social media, which is just nuts. But, you know, they don't want, you know, some of these yahoos infecting them. I get it. I agree. I understand. 
But a lot of other people that are out there are not infected, but yet they're having their rights violated. So we, and, and that's what we're seeing with this business owner, this business owner that owns this, you know, this bakery, this coffee shop, they've had their business shut down. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't violate the rights of other people, but the government came in and crushed him. And as a result, not only are those workers out of work, now granted they're on the dole with the whole unemployment program, which is a whole other story, but that business owner is screwed. The business owner's life savings and and life's work and passion may have just gone up in smoke. And it didn't have to be that way. They could have still stayed in business and done it safely. Followed the distancing rules, followed the mask rules, followed the number of people in a square foot rules, you know, been good citizens, been uh, respectful, uh, conscientious, aware and done it safely. After all, the essential businesses are doing it. The big corporations like Home Depot and Walmart and Costco are doing it. So why can't this little coffee shop do it? Why are the rules different? We should all be equal under the law, but instead this is inequality under the law. Certain people have, you know, they say um, certain people are more free than others, right? That's like um, uh, from Animal Farm. Um, Certain people have more rights than others, and that's just not right. So um, I I think it's very interesting is that when, you have a situation like this where there are people that are that are not infected, not showing symptoms. They may have been tested and came up clean. Their rights are violated. It's, it's almost like guilty until proven innocent. We should be innocent until proven guilty, right? It's like the whole system has been turned on its head. We have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not just you, but so does the other guy. So does that business owner. So does the guy that wants to go to the beach. You know, people are going to the beach, walking their dog. They're getting arrested. There was a guy that was paddle boarding out at Malibu in the water by himself. And the Coast Guard made him come ashore and the cops were there and handcuffed him and walked him off the beach. I mean, what the hell is going on? So... We've become too aggressive. I say we. I should say they. You know, the government officials have become too aggressive. Now, in my opinion, I think a lot of this is out of the, the fact that no political leader wants to be blamed for the death of others because they know that'll hang over their head and they'll never win re-election. I'm sure that's a big part of it. Um, but there's also philosophical reasons, just like my friends on the left. And some of the things that they believe that are important and are righteous. And, and many people think that is the right policy. But I, I, I have always said it's not put lives at risk so we can save the economy. And it's also not put the economy at risk so we can save lives. There is always the middle road. And the middle road is to respect the individual rights of other people. And you have the right to control what you do. If you are risk adverse, stay home. If you're risk tolerant, then you can go out, wear a mask, and uh, practice social distancing. But at the same time, those other people have that right to do that too. And I think we lose sight of that. And, you know, the, 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 uh, the damage 
to the economy, the damage to society has been insane. And obviously there's damage to health. You know, it cuts both ways. Um, There is no perfect solution to this. That's the sad thing. And that's why I think because there is no perfect solution, you have to let people choose for themselves as long as they don't violate the rights of others. And I still think we could have had a far better outcome. You know, it's interesting is, you know, President Trump is getting a lot of heat for this COVID crisis, rightfully so. I mean, in my opinion, he's blundered his way through and he's and he's caused a lot of problems and he's shown terrible leadership. And the list is the list is a mile long. But it's actually the local government officials that are the ones that have shut down businesses. State and local government are the ones that have said essential, non-essential and shut down businesses. I mean, Governor Whit- is it Whitmer, I think, the one in, in Michigan, she's been really aggressive, really aggressive. Um, so those it's, it's the state and local um, politicians that have been shutting down businesses, interestingly, typically Democratic governors. Um, and then when they shut down the businesses, that creates this cascading effect that causes other businesses to close down. And then we end up going from, in San Diego County, from 4% unemployment to 28% unemployment. And it's brutal. And the number of deaths in San Diego County from COVID, less than one one one-hundredth of a percent of the 3.3 million people that live in San Diego County. And out of all those, out of the 3.3 million, only six people died purely of COVID. Three quarters of them were over the age of 70 that passed away from this. Uh, Roughly half of them were over the age of 80. We could protect our our older neighbors and friends and family members, but still let younger people be free to practice and live their life safely and according to their own values. And it's a shame. And and this is an interesting quote that I saw. Um, People are attempting to influence you that a desire for individual rights, a desire for liberty is selfish. And yeah, we see a lot of that. You know, our friends on the left will criticize those that are asking for liberty, that are demanding liberty and saying that they're selfish. But you know what? That's kind of, there, I, I talked about this in the last podcast. There are two types of selfish. There's the, the liar, cheater, you know, um, will do anything to screw you over, selfish person. That's all about win-lose outcomes. Um yeah, I mean, those those people are, are huge problems and, and they need to be shunned. They need to be they need to be contained. If they violate the rights of others, they need to be held accountable. But there is a good for, version of selfishness where you are just pursuing your own rational self-interest and doing it in a way that doesn't violate the rights of other people. You're out there pursuing win-win outcomes. Well, if people are... You know, I say here, people are attempting to influence you that is a desire for individual rights, a desire for liberty. It's selfish. I'm thinking if you are desiring to go out and just engage with customers, be safe, be safe around others, pursue win-win outcomes. Well, you can call that selfish if you want, but that's kind of the whole point of liberty. 
The whole point of inalienable rights is to have liberty for yourself and to protect the liberty of other people. It's like those bubbles that are floating around in that space, that metaphor or analogy that I use. You have rights. The other person has rights. And you engage without violating the rights of others. And to deny that of people, that's just wrong. It's just immoral, in my opinion. And to call it selfish is trying to, like, needle them. Um, And like I said, there's a good version of selfishness and there's a bad version. And if you want to go after the bad version of selfishness, um, you know, the liars and the cheaters and the, you know, the people that want to harm you. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, I'll join that party and we'll condemn those people and hold them accountable. But those that are searching for uh, pursuing win-win outcomes that are pursuing their own long-term rational self-interest, well, I'm sorry. I mean, you shouldn't be condemning those people because they have rights too. Okay, so I want to get into one last topic and, you know, we're rolling here in this podcast and Oh, yeah, we're doing okay. I think I, I want to talk a little bit about Justin Amash. And, you know, I've he dropped out of the race, and I'm just so bummed. Um, you know, I've talked a lot about Justin Amash. He's the independent congressman, or he's now a libertarian. Um, he was such a breath of fresh air. He was a Republican. He, he left the party. He was independent. And he's all about trying to break down this Republican-Democratic duopoly, the two parties that are damaging this nation. He was such a breath of fresh air. He is a big supporter of these things I talk about, of inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as a sitting congressman, a congressman that has been in place, I think, since 2010, he came up through the whole Tea Party wave. And and by the way, he remained pure to that fiscal conservatism and liberty. He didn't, you know, participate when the whole thing went off the rails and was co-opted by the religious right. He was pure to that notion of legitimately liberty, the way that I talk about it. And it was – here was a candidate I said, oh, this is a guy that's got credibility, a third-party candidate that has credibility as a congressman, a third-party candidate that has credibility because he quit the Republican Party because he objected to President Trump and called for his impeachment. Um, I, and, and then he joined the Libertarian Party. I'm like, hallelujah, we have a shot here to have a third podium on the debate stage in October. And then he dropped out. And I, and you know, I don't know if the full story has come out. Some people have said – it's because, um, you know, there was infighting in the Libertarian Party over delegates because, you know, he was a late arriver. And so some people didn't like that. Um, some people in the party, they weren't going to vote for him or try to nominate him because they thought he was a, a Johnny come lately. And then, you know, there's been also rumors that people, you know, so-called talk some sense into him. And I'll use that in air quotes because they, they said that his Involvement in the race could increase the likelihood Trump is going to win. Although I can play that both ways. I could say that it's going to decrease Trump's likelihood to win because he pulls from both sides, Amash would. And then some people said, well, Amash came to realize that he didn't have a chance to win. Well, let's be real. It would have required like a miracle for a third party candidate to win in this race. Although, you know, Abraham Lincoln won. Um, I was really hopeful that we would see a third-party candidate make a significant impact and help determine the outcome of this race. 
but no, no Siri Bob. So now the libertarians are they're trying to nominate someone, and there are some good people in that party, but they're largely unknown. Gary Johnson got three percent in 2016, but he was a he was a former two term governor, and his running mate also a twice elected governor. Um, and they only got 3% when we had the two worst candidates of all time in Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. So I don't know. I always look at this. I say we're doomed. Um, the the political and the, the politicians, they just continue to screw us. Um, and we're going to get Biden, who is just so inept. I, he was he posted uh, there was a video of him today saying, you know, yeah, that ain't black or something like that. Just made these just really you know, he was trying to be cavalier, I guess, but he ended up just making these offensive comments, especially race-based comments. It's just stupid. It's foolish. Um, and he makes gaffes and blunders all the time. I saw another one of them saying that he was going to, this is Joe Biden was talking. He says, and I'm going to beat Joe Biden. Like what? His mind is is gone. He's from a time long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, so, yeah, this is this election should be the easiest election in the world for the Democrats to win. I mean, President Trump is sitting over the, an economy that's imploding um, and the Democrats are probably still going to screw it up. Uh, it's just a shame. So uh, I'm just really disappointed in Justin Amash, but I really need to <laughs> to be really go back to what I believe are one of the more important things is that you can't put all of your emotions into the political candidate because number one, they always disappoint you. So you should never fall in love with a candidate. And this is another example where Amash disappointed me. Um, But at the same time, um, we have to live our own lives. We have to pursue our own rational self-interest. We have to go out into the world and make something of ourselves. If we're going to win or lose, if we're going to have success or failure, it has to be on our own merit, on our own decisions, the things that we do, rather than blaming the other politicians. And yeah, sure, I, I, I'll zing some politicians from time to time. Um, but I know that in the end, you know, they're going to influence things. They're going to distort the playing field, change the rules. But still, I have far greater control over me than they do of me. And that's the way it should be in a nation that supposedly has inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, yeah, so I I hope Justin Amash chooses to run in 2024. We'll see. I I still think there's a good chance that we'll see another third candidate arise because there's an opening. There is an opening if someone can get organized. Uh, But, you know, an independent candidate, the clock's ticking to get on the ballot, to get the signatures to qualify across all 50 states or 57 states if you listen to Barack Obama. Um, but And then with this cold COVID crisis, you can't go out and get all the signatures. So that's why the Libertarian Party was the ticket, because they're on the ballot in close to 50 states, at least 35. And they thought that by the time the election came, they would be in almost all, if not all, 50 states. And they're going to be choosing their nominee here shortly. So the opportunity for a third party candidate is that window's closing quick. So then the only other hope is if the Democrats abandon Biden and then nominate a more competent candidate. That could happen, but unlikely, unless there's some major health problem with Joe Biden. So we'll see. Um, all right. So uh, just want to 
you know, ask you if you if you like. Join me on uh, on social media. You can go to my website, johnreillyproject.com slash connect. And that's where all my social media platforms are. And you can click on any of those and follow us and, and continue the conversation there. You can also get on our mailing list at johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe. Um, and we just love to continue the conversation. Um, and I want to close with a final quote. And this is from Justin Amash. And this is actually a tweet from today. And he was commenting on... Governor Whitmer, you know, the governor of Michigan, the one who is a potential vice presidential pick for Joe Biden, but who has been very, very, very aggressive. Um, And according to Justin Mosh, his tweet said, Governor Whitmer cannot legitimately invoke emergency powers on an ongoing basis when the legislature is available to address COVID-19. It's not an emergency under such circumstances. President Trump tried this nonsense with the wall and arms sales. The same principle applies. So good for you, Justin Amash. What he's basically saying is, is that the president or the governor, they're not a dictator. There is co-equal branches of government. At the state level, the governor can't do Everything at her own um, bequest. She she can't declare a state of emergency on her own. the The legislature needs to declare that state of emergency. The same thing that Trump tried to do when Congress was out of session. He tried to declare a state of emergency so that he could have broader powers to act like a king, which you know Trump wants to do. Especially a business CEO, he's used to being a king. You can't do that in government. There is a balance of power. There is checks and balances. There are three co-equal branches of government. This is the beauty of Justin Amash because he's righteous. He's not partisan that way. He will call them out, call out the Democrat, call out the Republican when they go outside the lines, when they violate the rules of the game. He will call them out. It's a great quote. Governor Whitmer, and it's from Twitter today. Governor Whitmer cannot legitimately invoke emergency powers on an ongoing basis when the legislature is available to address COVID-19. It's not an emergency under such circumstances. President Trump tried this nonsense with the wall and the arms sales. The same principle applies. So there you go. Equality under the law. Sticking to principles. These are things that we're missing in our politicians. And again, that's why I just have great respect for Amash and why I was disappointed that he eventually you know, he backed out of his run for president. So I think we're at a, roughly about an hour or close to it. So we're, let's wrap it up here. This is the John Riley Project. This is episode number 133. I've got a whole bunch in store for you. I'm going to probably be cranking them out as we get towards the end of May. I told you I got a backlog. I've got a lot of stuff, and we're going to talk about um, sports and self-improvement and local things here in San Diego and Poway. Um, I want to talk about capitalism and entrepreneurship, and I got a whole – just a giant list of topics. So I think we can have a really productive Memorial Day weekend as I crank out some of this content. And please share this with a friend. That would be really appreciated. Um, Let them know about the John Riley Project. And thanks again, friends. We really appreciate your support. And we'll see you again real soon. Bye-bye.